Welcome to National Parks Traveler, where we explore the national parks and the issues that involve them. As temperatures soar across the country this summer, there is at least one place in the national park system to keep cool. That's below the surface at Mammoth Cave National Park, where temperatures in the world's longest cave system remain around a cool 55 degrees year-round. Mammoth Cave National Park in Kentucky is a World Heritage Site and International Biosphere Reserve. It was designated a national park in 1926 and fully established and opened in 1941, 80 years ago. At 412 miles, the cave system itself is nearly twice as long as any other known cave system in the world. Geologists believe there may even be a couple more hundred miles of undiscovered passageways. If you ever get a chance to visit, explore the underground during a wild cave tour, and then enjoy exploring the surface and its history. This is Kurt Repencheck, your host at National Parks Traveler. This week, the traveler's Lynn Riddick takes us to Mammoth Cave National Park and taps into insight and anecdotes from park personnel about the historic and geologic wonders that tell the story of this unique landscape. The Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation is the primary nonprofit fundraising partner for the Blue Ridge Parkway. It is made up of people who have a deep love for this majestic road and want to ensure that its natural beauty and the experiences it offers endure for generations to come. Show your appreciation at brpfoundation.org. Western National Parks Association is a nonprofit education partner of the National Park Service. WNPA supports parks across the West, developing products, services, and programs that enhance the visitor experience, understanding, and appreciation of national parks. Learn more at WNPA.org. Whether it be strategy, business planning, change management, board development, executive search, or diversity planning, Potrero Group is here to help. They mix a depth of experience in the parks and land space with a breadth of best practices from other industries. For more information or to schedule a preliminary conversation, go to potrerogroup.com. P-O-T-R-E-R-O group.com. Nova Scotia. 8,000 miles of coastline dotted with colorful fishing villages, quaint coastal towns, and an abundance of scenic natural beauty. Home to two national parks, Cape Breton Highlands and Kejimakujik. Spend your nights under a canopy of twinkling stars. Spend your days exploring trails, beaches, historical waterways, and tons of cultural and recreational experiences. Visit NovaScotia.com today to start planning your natural getaway. I have to admit I was a little apprehensive as I descended the steeply sloped paved walkway to the cave entrance for the River Styx tour. My traveling companions, including my pal Ginny Vining, and about 25 other park visitors kept going down, down, down. And we hadn't even entered the cave yet. All I knew was that there was way more descending to go, including some 600 steps once inside the cave. And then of course, the journey back up. Park Ranger Haley Hoffman's pre-tour warnings allowed a couple of opportunities to bail. You all know yourselves better than we do, but if you have heart or breathing problems, trouble walking long distances, climbing stairs, any health concerns that you think will limit you from doing this tour to the best of your ability, 
If you have any concerns about Fat Man's Misery, maybe a little bit of claustrophobia, anything like that, feel free to go up here to Ranger Chris right now while I'm talking if you have any concerns like that. Or to me, once we start walking, we definitely want to make sure that everybody's in a, a part of the group where they feel comfortable when we're going through places. And like I said, this There's no entrance fee to Mammoth Cave National Park, but there are fees for the cave tours, ranging from $8 to $22 for adults and $4 to $16 for seniors and youth. The hard part is choosing, as there are quite a few. Ginny scheduled the River Styx tour first, so as to tackle the more physically challenging one the first day. Haley, along with her park ranger colleague, Chris Clark, led us into the semi-darkness, and our geology lesson began. Down in there, but one thing, we're standing around in this valley out here. Notice how we've been walking down this hill. We're gonna walk inside the cave here in a second into that limestone. But on top of all this limestone sits sandstone rock. And it plays a very important role in Mammoth Cave. And we'll talk about it once we get down in there. But I just want you to kind of pay attention to the landscape kind of as we're walking down the hill here and just here in a minute. You're gonna feel that cold air and it's gonna feel glorious. So let's go get to it. Right, it's so hot out here. Kind of fun entering the cave for the first time and the trickle of water coming from the ledge overhead. So it's interesting, you know, all that cool air that we felt yesterday yeah. coming from the cave. And now you come into the cave and you feel like this breeze, a pretty strong breeze of cold air. It's really nice. But it's, it's not too cold so far. I'm sure if we go down further, well, we are prepared for 56 degree temperatures, is that what they said? Yes. This tour covers two and a half miles inside the cave with 360 feet of elevation change. As we pass through tunnels and formations, wide caverns and narrow passageways, our guides made frequent stops to explain the geological processes behind the formation of the cave. But right now I want to introduce the rock that, we're, that is around us right now. We're going to start with the, the way back in time, the geological history of Mammoth Cave. We have to go way, way far back. Over 300 million years ago, there was a warm, shallow sea over this area of Kentucky. It was a lot more tropical, right, than what we're experiencing today. There wasn't all this forest and all this stuff everywhere. And in that sea, you had all types of creatures, sharks, fish, plant life, corals. You had a lot of things with shells. Right? And when those things died, they started to float down to the bottom of that sea. The calcium precipitates out, and over time, with intense pressure, packs down to form the many layers of limestone that make up Mammoth Cave that are surrounding us right now, about 600 feet of it in this area of Kentucky. So very old limestone that we're in right now. And we're going to pass through three layers. Now, there's layers inside of layers inside of layers. Mammoth Cave is one of the world's most diverse cave ecosystems, containing some 130 forms of life. It's a solution cave formed over millions of years as acidic rainwater seeped and continues to seep through the cracks in the rock above. We talked about where the rock came from. Now we're going to talk about how the cave got here. Right, so you have all this limestone rock, you have that sandstone sitting on top of it, things start to shift and change and move around over the next few million years. You start to get little tiny cracks in this limestone. So Mammoth Cave didn't start off 412 miles long, right? just like the Grand Canyon didn't start off in that big hole in the ground that we all know about today. Right? It took a lot of time. In geological terms, we're talking very, very long time. Right, so you have normal rainwater that comes down from the sky. As it's coming down, it picks up carbon dioxide, picks up that acidity, goes down through those sinkholes out around Mammoth Cave, inside Mammoth Cave. Did anybody come 
Probably a lot of you came into the park from I-65, right? The nice interstate. Did you see any of those big bowl-shaped depressions out around you? There were some trees in the middle of them. Some of them were really tiny. Some were just huge, kind of spanning the whole maybe farmland that you were driving by. That's how a lot of the water gets into Mammoth Cave, right? Those big bowl-shaped depressions, just like a drain at the bottom of each of one of them, just like the, your kitchen sink has a drain in it. So the water comes down through that dirt in the soil, picks up even more acidity, and it becomes carbonic acid. Sounds scary, right? Acid, we all hate that word. That just, you know, like melting skin and all that sort of thing. Um, would any of you, you know, drink carbonic acid? Yes. Yeah, yeah right, you sure would. Because I'm sure some of you have it maybe once a day, maybe once a week if you're really good. Maybe never, right, if you're a really good human being, right? You don't want to ingest that stuff. But if you drink Coca-Cola, 7 Mountain Dew, Dr. Pepper, even just the bubbly water, right? You look on the first ingredient, carbonated water. Because if they labeled it as carbonic acid, nobody would buy it ever again. Right? It'd sit on the shelf forever. But that's what carved out Mammoth Cave, that carbonic acid, that water mixing with that carbon dioxide. It slowly starts to dissolve away this limestone rock. It's very soluble. Mammoth Cave's 412 miles with five distinct passageways squiggle above and below each other like noodles in a bowl. There are four fossil levels and a river level. We passed along a walkway above the underground river Styx, some 300 feet below the surface. Here the water is still working to lengthen the cave. It's an eerie feeling to look down at the dark foreboding water, hoping your feet don't slip. But alas, there are modern safety amenities at the ready. So I just love that we passed a life preserver. Uh, there's another one over there. Oh, that's fantastic. I don't know how they use those, though. Like, they get a big thing and, oh, God. Well, they're going to throw it down to you and then they'll right. figure out how to pull your carcass out. Hopefully <laughs> <laughs> it's not a carcass at that point. One of the highlights of the tour, or should I say lowlights, was when Ranger Haley instructed us to turn off our battery-powered lanterns. All right, but go ahead and take that little green button on your lantern. Just go ahead and get, don't hold on to it, just give it one quick press. <laughs> oh. Seriously creepy. Right, so if you wanted to know what all the cave system looks like, you're seeing it. Go ahead and wave your hand in front of your face. <laughs> it doesn't matter how long you are down in here, your eyes would never adjust to this. My traveling companions and I enjoyed two more cave tours while in the park, the Cleveland Avenue and Frozen Niagara Tours. They offered a close-up view of geological phenomena and carried us back to the time of the early explorers who ventured deep into cave passages despite the limitations of the era. But visitors would be remiss not to enjoy the wonders of the park that lie above the cave, 80 miles of hiking trails through eastern hardwood forests. We explored old churches and cemeteries that are final resting homes to family members who once owned property here. And the Green River Ferry, a curious thing. Looking somewhat like a miniature aircraft carrier, it's about as long as the river is wide it doesn't hold very many cars, and it doesn't go very far, but it got Ginny and me to the other side. 
You know, another fun little part of our trip was when we crossed the Green River on the ferry. And not because it was a sensational experience. It was just unique. It was, I'd never been on a ferry that was just a three-car ferry that went across, I don't know, 40 feet of water. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was yes. kind of fun. I love that. I, and that's how you get to the uh, sort of the other side of the park. Is it's one way of doing it, um, a very convenient way. But the ferry, sometimes it doesn't run because the water level with the rain can. It's a very, um, very, it's variable. So if it, if it, if they have a situation where they don't think they can run the ferry, they just don't run it. So you have to call and find out if the ferry's running, uh, and they'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> and we, it was a very short ride. We just got on and. <laughs> three cars and they just moved just right across it was such a that was a very unique experience for me I've been on ferries but that was like the coolest sort of quick ferry <laughs> yeah how long would you say it lasted I think it was under a minute <laughs> I know it was wasn't yeah. it oh yeah you count yeah. to like probably 25 and you're on the other side <laughs> At night, we were treated to an amazing display of lightning bugs that rose up out of the dewy grass and forested areas, an abundance that I have not seen maybe since I was a kid. The evenings are also a good time to catch an informative ranger talk or two. Ranger Chris told us about the pre-National Park era when landowners hired cappers to do whatever they could to attract visitors to their cave and not their neighbors. People would roll into this area they would see this guy jump out, blow a whistle, and look like he was writing down your license plate number. You came back and said, what did I do wrong? Where are you going? I'm going over here to Mammoth Cave. Do not go there. All their guides have tuberculosis. Go to this cave instead. Or I'm going over to Diamond Caverns. Don't go there. They have had a terrible fire. There's nothing to say. His presentation also included the captivating story of Floyd Collins, a young man pinned for days by a boulder inside the cave. The nationwide publicity surrounding his rescue fueled support for Mammoth Cave becoming a national park. As rangers Chris and Haley explained to me after the presentation, the park has lots of stories and they love telling them. Here we are, it's 8.30 at night mm -hmm. and you just finished your ranger talk, which was very informative, very enjoyable. Glad you enjoyed. Thank you. But you both were there at the 1 o'clock River Sticks tour that I went on. So it's kind of been a long day, right? It has been. <laughs> Is this typical? When did you start working? We started a little bit later when we have the night shifts like this. Uh, we start about 1230. We do two tours and have an evening program, but we have a little downtime. It's not too bad. A couple hours here and there to yep. take a break. Very enjoyable. So last night we came to the talk about the cave wars, and tonight was mostly about uh, Floyd and getting stuck in the cave, and yes, then also the robbery or the burglary or the <laughs> destruction of the cave that happened in 1999? 95. 95. Mm -hmm. So how do you select the topics of these ranger talks? I try to do it on something that I enjoy talking about. So you can I, pick whatever yeah, you want. Yeah, yeah. There's a thankfully with Mammoth Cave, there's a lot to choose from, and we're able to do pretty much whatever we want. This cave has such a rich history, both underground and above ground, that it's we don't lack for topics to discuss. 
but Floyd, for me, Floyd has been one of those things that has kind of captivated the attention of people that come into the Mammoth Cave area. And it's a story, really, had he not got trapped in Mammoth Cave, we may not be a national park. His entrapment led Congress to kind of sit back and look and go, okay, maybe we need to do something. And because the state of Kentucky had been trying since the 1900s to get this as a national park. But with the cave wars going on and, make, and designating this as a national park, we start to see a lot of those caves are in what would become the national park. And with that, it kind of helped squelch some of that. Interesting, because here you have a guy, 37 years old, 38 years, years old, old, and he gets trapped, and it captures the attention of a nation. Because I think there's something really scary about getting trapped in a tight place and days upon days, and everyone is working toward your retrieval, and it doesn't have a, a good ending. No, it does not. And when I say it captivates like a, a crowd still, this was one of the first big news stories of then young radio. And Congress would stop every day just to get the updates on the rescue efforts here. And it also captivated the attention of a young boy at that time, too, who kept asking his family to come here and being told no. And later on, you know, this, this gentleman was very successful. Someone tried to take his life. They were unsuccessful at that. And as he's sitting back, he's thinking, I can now go to Mammoth Cave. I'm the president of the United States. I can do what I want. What president? That was Ronald Reagan. And inside the cave, he, from what I've been told, he sang the, the death of Floyd Collins and he knew it. He knew it, word for word. Oh, come on, you young people, and listen while I tell the fate of Floyd Collins, a lad we all knew well. I'm Lynn Riddick in Mammoth Cave National Park, and I'll be right back after this short message. The North Cascades Institute has a large portfolio. It's an environmental learning center, training center, conference center, and leadership center all set in the splendor of the North Cascades National Park Complex. Learn more at ncascades.org. Acadia National Park is one of the 10 most popular national parks in the United States. It's also one of the smallest and most vulnerable. That's why Friends of Acadia exists. Friends of Acadia is an independent organization of passionate people, inspiring those who love this magnificent park to make a real and lasting difference for Acadia. You can make a difference at friendsofacadia.org. The Grand Teton National Park Foundation is a private, nonprofit organization that supports projects that protect and enhance Grand Teton National Park's cultural, historic, and natural resources. 
By funding initiatives that go beyond what the National Park Service could accomplish on its own, Foundation donors improve the visitor experience and provide benefits to the National Park System for decades to come. You can see their successes at gtnpf.org. Do you love one-click shopping? With our partner, Interior Federal Credit Union, you can earn rewards just by making online purchases. You're missing out on rewards points if you're not using their Visa credit and or debit card. By adding these cards to your online shopping cart with Amazon, Walmart, or other shopping retailers, you can earn a point for every dollar you spend. Binge watching a lot with streaming services like Netflix and Hulu? Use their card for recurring payments to earn points as well. Visit their website, interiorfcu.org, and read their blog for more details and how to apply. Washington State is graced with three spectacular national parks, each different and special in their own unique ways. As the official nonprofit partner and the only philanthropic organization dedicated exclusively to supporting these parks through charitable contributions, Washington's National Park Fund has a mission to raise private support to deepen everyone's love for, understanding of, and experiences in Mount Rainier, North Cascades, and Olympic National Parks. Share your passion for these parks at WNPF.org. I'm Lynn Riddick and I'm continuing my visit to Mammoth Cave National Park. For more historical perspective, I met up the next day with another park ranger, although the idea to do the interview inside the cave came a little too late. Well, what better way to spend a hot, muggy Kentucky day than in a cave? And to tell me all about Mammoth Cave National Park is Autumn Bennett, who is with the Park Service and an interpretive ranger here. Well, thank you for meeting with me uh, on this hot day. We're sitting in a picnic area under the shade, and it's just a beautiful day, not counting the heat. And what's the temperature today, do you know? I think 100 in the shade. Yeah, 100 in the shade feels like it. Well, tell us a little bit about the National Park and the cave that you have here. Mammoth Cave National Park was established in 1941. Prior to that, this area was home to over 500 families, little farming communities, uh, churches, general stores. Being a native Kentuckian, we always say this is Kentucky's gift to the world of people having to give up in most cases the only home they ever knew so that we can share this place with the world. How many miles of the cave are available for exploration by tour groups? We currently tour roughly 14 miles of cave. So a lot of our tours overlap, but that's 14 miles of the known 412. In order to enter Mammoth Cave, you have to be on a guided tour. Even the self-guided tour goes a quarter of a mile in the cave, but there are guides down there. I often say we have over 400 miles for you to get lost, and we would never know where to look for you. So uh, I think a lot of times people are surprised that you can't just sign a sheet and go exploring in the cave. And so on, on guided tours, we have a, a lead ranger and a trail trailing ranger try to keep the group together and just make sure people are safe. Lantern tours are my favorite to lead. I love the nostalgia of seeing a cave with a, a flame, with a lantern, you know, like those folks in the 1800s would have, would have seen it. 
It took brave souls to go into the cave in those early days. It did. Uh, even braver 5,000 years ago, though. I have immense respect for the, the first explorers, the late archaic early woodland Native Americans who explored Mammoth Cave with burning torches, burning sticks. As I, I would go a lot further with a lantern than I would go with a torch. <laughs> That's right. So to me, it's interesting driving around the park or walking around the park that we are on top of the cave. Are we on top of the cave right now where we sit? I am not 100% sure, but potentially. The visitor center, uh, the hotel, does sit above some cave passageways. Uh, the cave is basically in a hill. And at the bottom of the hill on the surface is the Green River. And at the bottom of the hill inside the cave are the underground rivers that carve out passageways and are tributaries to the Green River. As I like to say, eons ago, rain figured out it was easier to go through the hill to get to the Green River. Rather than cut valleys, it made caves. One of the first economic uses of Mammoth Cave by modern people was the mining of saltpeter for the making of gunpowder during the War of 1812. That industry gave way to cave tourism and the subsequent competition among various landowners who were lucky enough to own the land above. Saltpeter mining, uh, that was a very lucrative business. Uh, during the height of the war, saltpeter was about a dollar a pound, which was really good money. Uh, after the War of 1812 ended, trade resumed. You could get saltpeter cheaper from other sources. And so the, the owners of the cave uh, started looking elsewhere. And it turns out people started knocking on the door, wanting to see a big dark hole in the ground. And they thought, well, charge money to see that. So cave tourism here has always been fairly lucrative. Uh, Mammoth Cave being the, the first in this area. Uh, later... Other privately owned caves joined in with that and reached a pinnacle in the late 1800s. Uh, this area is what is known as the, the cave wars. So people were fighting over tourist dollars. You had several other privately owned caves that were hoping to cash in on, on just people wanting to see, see these places. So tell me about the history of the slaves that worked here and helped develop what would later become the National Park. I hesitate to say that the history of enslaved individuals began with Mammoth Cave's use uh, as a saltpeter mining operation uh, in 1809. I feel like America itself was built on an intertwining of lots of cultures. And as people moved west of the Appalachian Mountains, you know, they brought enslaved individuals with them. But as far as the earliest record of enslaved individuals working in Mammoth Cave would be for that saltpeter mining operation for the War of 1812. Not a lot is known about that time period. Uh, records, if they were kept, have either not been found or have been destroyed. We have references that maybe 70 men worked 
total in the, the mining operation. Imagine the majority of those would have been enslaved individuals. They also had to have food and shelter and definitely the behind the scenes on the surface isn't as well known either. Most of the attention gets paid to the saltpeter mining operation itself. Afterwards, the families who continued to own Mammoth Cave and uh, give cave tours. It was the first from 1816 up until 1838. It was a family business of sorts. You had the Shackelfords, the Gatewoods, the Millers, and their sons would lead people through. But also imagine that it, it wouldn't have been uncommon for them to, if, if they had enslaved individuals, which I believe they, the, the Gatewoods and the, I know the Gatewoods did, that they would have been in some capacity on, on cave tours, definitely on occasion, maybe you know, carrying fuel, uh, lanterns, food. But as far as a, a guiding tradition, that started 1838. Uh, Stephen Bishop was brought to Mammoth Cave by Franklin Gorin and tasked with learning the cave routes and exploring the cave. Uh, he would often explore with visitors, uh, supposedly crossed bottomless pits with a man by the name of H.C. Stevenson, according to first-hand accounts. He went on to discover the underground rivers in 1841. In 1838, he was also joined by Nick and Matt Bransford, they were leased from a fellow by the name of Thomas Bransford. Do we know that once slavery ended, those men continued to work in the cave doing tours? They did. Uh, there's stories that Nick started selling eyeless fish, preserved one in a jar for $1.50, if I remember correctly, and three dollars for a live one. <laughs> and he was saving up money to buy his freedom, which Stephen had already had by that point, because Stephen was freed by Dr. Cron's will. Dr. Cron died in 1849. Dr. Cron had purchased the cave from Franklin Gorin in 1839 and continued to enslave Stephen uh, and lease Nick and Matt. So Stephen got his freedom in 1856. He got to live free almost a year. Uh, he died in 1857. Matt and Nick continued to guide here. Nick was the longest guide of the, the originals, uh, Stephen, Nick, and Matt. Nick continued to guide, gosh, into the 1880s. I'm thinking he died around in the 1890s. Tell me about the CCC and the development of the park thanks to the help of those workers. And then also about the black Americans that I understand had a camp, uh, were in the CCC. One of the camps was all black. In 1926, the original tract that Dr. Cron owned was purchased and uh, the National Park Association got the ball rolling on having this area designated as a national park. By the 30s, sometime during the 30s, they had acquired enough land for the National Park Service to take authority. And so you had park rangers moving in, 
uh, setting up offices and and such. Uh, that also allowed the Civilian Conservation Corps to be able to come here and start making this look like a national park. They tore down homes, churches, barns. They rolled up all kinds of like barbed wire fencing because this was land that the federal government had acquired, and so right. that's why they were clearing these old structures out. Right, and planting trees. Uh, they also constructed miles and miles of trail, both above surface and in the cave. There were four CCC camps. Uh, one was all black. Inside the cave, they built miles and miles of trail in which they would just take rocks and kind of lay down rocks and gravel, uh, take cave dirt, pack on top of that, all by hand. There's no machinery involved at that time. And all in very low light, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, up here, 100 degrees, doing the same thing uh, for the miles of hiking trails we have. We always tell the story that they dropped their sledgehammers and pickaxes and left their tools of, of labor to, to pick up tools of war, to go fight in World War II. Tell me about the archaeological work that you are doing here. Next month, uh, the cultural resource manager here is going to excavate where the hotel stood. The original hotel that was built and expanded on by Dr. Cron in 1839, burnt in 1916. And in the 1930s, well, maybe late 20s, another hotel was built. And then uh, I think sometime in the 60s, that one was condemned, and they tore that down and, and built the, the version we have now. However, soon our current hotel is going to get a facelift and some uh, modifications and remodeling. And there's going to be an expansion of the parking there. And before all that takes place, uh, we're actually able to excavate around the foundation of the 1930s hotel. And we're even hoping to catch a little bit of the first hotel. Uh, it might overlap some, so uh, who knows? We're, we're very excited to see what's, what's beneath the surface. We, we know the cave's down there, but what's between the, the cave and the, and the surface? Uh, most of the archeological work that the park has done in the past has been in the cave and has been focused on the late archaic, early woodland Native American explorers. And Mammoth Cave itself is an archaeological treasure, and that's often overlooked. But what Mammoth Cave offers here is, is because of it being a dry cave, plant remains are preserved. Um, I can take you right now into the cave and show you a gourd that was brought in four or five thousand years ago, three, four, five thousand years ago, and it looks like it was brought in yesterday. There are cane reeds. Um, we found sunflower heads, woven slippers that are so well preserved that people can actually replicate the, the weave pattern, the, the twisting and the twining that they did. And those things would not exist 
if it weren't for Mammoth Cave and those folks leaving that in Mammoth Cave during their exploration because it would have rotted out here on the surface. So Mammoth Cave offers another piece of the puzzle to the subsistence patterns of the late Archaic early woodland Indians. They were uh, actually starting to farm. The, the first archaeology was, was focused on you know, the prehistory and it's, it's really neat to give some attention to the, the historical side of things. Sure. I also understand that shark teeth and fossils have been found, which is difficult because sharks are mostly cartilage, right? They are, except for their teeth, uh, which is why you find so many... When you, when you think, say a shark fossil, it's usually a, a tooth. The different members of limestone here... Uh, some are very fossil rich and they've started finding all sorts of species of ancient sharks. That's kind of the, the big push in science right now is all this uh, fossil collecting and looking for fossils. And I guess in a sense it kind of sums up what I love about Mammoth Cave is, you know, people often ask me if I ever get tired of going in the cave. and. I answer honestly, some days it's like anything else, you'd rather be somewhere else. But no one ever get tired of going in the cave because if I look, each and every time I will find something I've never seen. Significant work has been done over many years to map out and understand this immense cave system. So the wonders above and below the ground here are yours to see as well. For The Traveler, I'm Lynn Riddick. That's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. National Parks Traveler is a small, editorially independent 501c3 nonprofit media organization. It is not part of the federal government, nor is it a corporate subsidiary. It's your support that helps ensure the Traveler's news and feature coverage of national parks and protected areas indoors. You can make a donation at nationalparkstraveler.org. For the Traveler, this is Kurt Repencheck. See you in the parks. The composers and musicians at Orange Tree Productions have created a unique collection known as the National Park Series that has grown to include more than 30 CD titles. Composed against the backdrop of a park's sounds of nature, these musical scores will connect you with these beautiful places and take you there, at least in your mind. This collection is the number one selling National Park audio series in the world and provides the background music for National Parks Travelers podcast. Visit them at orangetreeproductions.com. Editing and production work for the National Parks Traveler podcast is done by Splitbeard Productions. You can learn more about us at splitbeardproductions.com. National Parks Traveler is a 501c3 nonprofit media organization that provides daily editorial coverage of national parks and protected areas. Traveler's coverage is made possible by reader and listener donations. Visit us at nationalparkstraveler.org.